Welcome to Successful Farming Radio. I'm Jody Henke. Today we're talking with Andy Junkin, a seventh-generation farmer, author, and mediator who has dedicated his life to helping farm families deal with change as it pertains to farm management, succession, and ultimately saving family farms. Andy, welcome to the program. Well, Jody, I take a lot of pride on being in a lot of farms and saving those family farms and the neighbors not knowing that I was there. And so I think confidentiality is a big part of what I do. And I've been doing it for the last 10 years. Started off in Canada, which is where I'm originally from, and been saving folks all across North America. You've also written a book called Farming with Family Ain't Always Easy. When you go visit with families, what are some of the number one concerns that you see out of them? What I see whenever I walk onto a farm, whether it's, it's a farm succession crisis or a farm debt mediation, you know, I call it schizophrenic farming. And essentially what it is, is you see a situation where one person talks and then while the other person is talking, the first person is not listening to the second person and what he has to say or she has to say. Instead, they're listening to the voices in their brain coming back with a rebuttal. And the problem we have in farming um, these days is that we're listening to our own thoughts instead of listening to our business partners. And that's leading to a lot of dysfunctional decisions being made. On most family farms, we're constantly butting heads and, and pulling the farm in different directions. And as a result, you just get nowhere fast. And the key thing that's changed over the last 40 years is two things. The first thing is technology. And the biggest change we've had technology over the last 40 years is health sciences. We just simply don't have as many farmers dropping dead of heart attacks in their 50s as we did back in the 1950s. And back in the 1970s, a lot of farmers would retire because their hips were poor. Well, nowadays, when dad is hitting 60, he's getting hip surgery and farming for another 20 years. And if you want to farm till the day you die, that's fantastic. But the problem we have on most family farms is we have a leadership style where one person is always the boss. And unfortunately, we have a situation where we have two or three business partners, probably multiple generations, maybe multiple siblings, and everybody's trying to be boss. And as a result, everybody's trying to butt heads and pull the farm in different directions. And you just can't make decisions. And it's fine when corn is $7 and uh, commodity prices are sky high. But when you get into the crisis that we're dealing with, where everybody needs to cut costs by at least 25% just to survive, it's really starting to show the dysfunctional leadership. And um, for the last 10 years, I've been mediating families that have been suffering from this dysfunctional leadership, and I just have a knack of being able to turn these things around quickly. What do you do when you go into that situation and you've got hot heads there already and I'm not going to listen to this guy? How do you get into something like that? Well, I, I think the thing is I've been there myself. My own family fell apart. Um, my parents actually got divorced over a manure spreader. So I'm able oh to my. relate with, uh, I guess you could say, the fit at the shan that day. <laughs> so the thing is that uh, I've been there myself. And so the, the ability to relate with folks and understand what they're going through is, is key. Um, but what I do is I get everybody to focus on what matters. My focus is never to tell farmers what to do, but to just improve how you're able to sit down and make decisions together as a family. And what I try to do is get a family, regardless of the crisis, to improve their cost production by 10%. And if your family is able to sit down and squeeze out 10% more profitability of an operation, regardless of the crisis you have at hand, the key I'm focused on is improving how you make decisions together as a family. You've got the patriarch of the family who has been running the farm his way for the last 40, 50 years, and you've got the young sons, grandsons coming in. How do you convince the patriarch that they're not criticizing his way of doing it? They're just finding new ways of doing it. 
when young lads come home from agriculture college, they got a thousand and one ideas as to how to improve the operation. By idea number 357, the patriarch perceives these suggestions for new ways to do things as a criticism of what the patriarch has or matriarch has done in the past. And what you got to do is, I always tell the young farmers when they graduate from agriculture college, don't go home and change things as far as buying a new combine, buying the farm next door, doubling the size of your barn, or even trying a new type of teat dip. The first thing you got to do is change how your family deals with change. And so you got to get a um, process in place that you can sit down on a regular basis through your family and be able to brainstorm. And that brainstorming process, the patriarch and matriarch have to be involved in coming to the table with a new idea. So when I start working with a family, what I do is I meet with families over Skype. You know, with technology these days, within 30 seconds, you can have somebody on a video screen sitting down with you instead of them driving three hours out to your farm and having that cost. The thing is, what you do is you sit down and make one improvement in how the farm improves production. And it's not the son or daughter coming to the table with new ideas, but it's also the patriarch. And the rule I have, without spending more than $1,000, you've got to make $3,000. And if you do that every week over the course of a year, uh, let's say you get together for 50 weeks and you make $1,000 improvement to your farm profitability, that's $50,000 in improvements. And generally what I see is two or three family members will come to the table and at least two ideas are good ones and one idea is dumb. And through that process, the patriarch or matriarch is able to explain to the kids why that idea is dumb. And the benefit is that you're able to transfer wisdom. And I think as any fool can give a son a tractor, very few farmers are successful in teaching their kids how to make that tractor pay. And I strongly believe that by having meetings derived on profitability for two years before we're going to do succession planning, that when you do transfer assets, the farmer will be still making decisions in the same light, if not a better level of management skills, 10 years down the road. How do you go about getting consistency in a management philosophy? You talked about everybody sitting down and brainstorming, but then once you've got those brainstorms solved, how do you go from there? There's many ways to milk a cow. Key thing is for two or three partners to milk the cow the same way. I at one time had a farm and their dad did the chores every other weekend so that the boys could have a weekend off, which is great. But on Tuesday morning, um, they had a high somatic cell count and a few cows with mastitis because dad refused to adapt the protocols that the boys had changed a couple of years before and milk cows his own way. It's really important to think outside the box. And I, I like to call it 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. So I think at 1% of the time, you got to sit down and brainstorm and kick around everything outside the box. But the rest of the time outside of those meetings, you got to keep things as consistent as possible. And if you want to change things, you bring it up in the next meeting and say, hey, I'm going to do it this way. It's a little bit different. What do you guys think? And ask for permission before you do it. And by doing that, you can have a discussion instead of having an argument a week later. Getting consistency within your operation, everything from where the 916th ranch is stored to getting an agreement within the partnership as to what the debt to equity ratio should be going forward is absolutely critical because I see so many things like last week I had grandma throw a juice container at her grandson because she and her grandson had a different philosophy on the percentage of debt to equity ratio the farm should have. And I think it's these type of arguments that cause a lot of families to fall apart. You've got to get everybody on the same page, pulling the same direction instead of always button heads.
You write here, during tough economic times, some farmers are known for complaining at the coffee shop about low commodity prices and the circumstances leading up to this. What's a different way of looking at it? I don't have a crystal ball to the future. And if you do, please give me a call because I'd like to look at it. (laughs) Wouldn't we all? (laughs) Yeah. So we don't know what the future is. But you can be like my dad and go to these farm rallies and hold placards. If you want to talk to your vegetarian neighbor and try to convert them to being a beef farmer, eating beef, that's fantastic. But, you know, we got to stop focusing on the external factors that we just really can't change or where our efforts are really going to be a drop in the ocean as far as what's necessary to change the market prices around. we got to focus on what we can do. And we can't control the amount of money that we're paid for products. we got to change our efficiency. Now, you know, I have a lot of farmers that have been successful in raising the value of their beef or pork by marketing it to specialty markets. And if you're in that game, that's great. But if you're in the business of producing a commodity product, you got to be focused on how can I do it cheaper. And I think what's critical is for you to recognize how low could the prices go in the next couple of years. Everybody's going to have different perspectives on where the commodity markets could go in the future. But I think what you need to do is be realistic and say, how low could it go? And then you got to drive your cost of production until you're producing your commodity product at that price. If the world goes to hell in a handbasket and the commodity markets go to baseline, you're producing your commodity product and breaking even at the price. And anything above that, you're making money. And I think that that's got to be the driver for all family farms. And the key thing is not just for you to have that drive, but for everybody involved in the family business. And so I think it's really important for you as a family to have that discussion and say, okay, realistically, how low could it go? And get everybody committed to doing whatever you can to get it priced down. I've actually had one farm. They went from sitting down and having that discussion. They were actually corn producers, and they came up with a price 275 per bushel is their target cost production, and currently they are about 375. They took spray paint to the side of the uh, grain bin and put 275 COP. Now the neighbors wouldn't know what that meant, but everybody that was involved in that farm knew, and every time they walked by the grain bin, they were reminded of their goals. And that fundamentally changed the culture of the farm where, you know, bringing up a new idea was kind of a big fight because they had to drop their cost production so substantially. They got really good at brainstorming. They set a goal and then they changed how they dealt with change. Now, some people, unfortunately, can't deal with the change. They can't deal with the way things are going. And it's a really depressing topic, but farm suicides, they happen. What's your take on that, Andy? There is nothing more definite than throwing a rope over a barn beam and making the decision to jump and swing by the rafters. There's just absolutely nothing more definite. But I think what's leading to that is a lot of decisions in a very similar light where one person is absolutely convinced that they're absolutely right. There's no other way to do things. And as a result, they've made a series of bad decisions. And so I think that you have to make a decision as a farmer whether you are going to go down a path where you're always going to be right and for the things to not be right leading to you possibly jumping off a barn beam, or you're going to start looking at two or three options. I deal with a lot of farms that I call schizophrenic farms, where everybody's trying to be right, and as a result, it's just a bad situation on the farm. Everybody's wrong. So with partnerships, and as a farmer, you've got to always be looking. There's many ways to skin a cat, and you've got to get really good at talking about two or three options for everything you do. And if you can talk about two or three options for everything you do on small things, you can really start brainstorming real opportunities you wouldn't have thought about before. And that's got to make them feel better. I mean, you know, when you see something actually work, 
give it a chance. Yeah, it's, it's really tough, though. It's a change in mindset. I mean, I'm the seventh generation farm boy from a little town called Bob Cajun. The first white man killed in the township was in the back of my farm. I grew up thinking that it was my God-given right to farm. And the fact is that my father and I were always right. And as a result, it led to a very wrong situation. And if you want to be farming 10 years from now, you've got to realize that you've got to be a bigger man and admit you're wrong or admit that there's different ways to do things and be looking for the best option instead of always seeking to be right. And that's the way it is on a lot of family farms. We are backstabbing each other and always fighting about who's right rather than sitting down and solving our problems together as a team. And then they split up and a couple of years later, they're not even waving each other on the concession line. This happens. You know, the probability of there never being a mistake is zero. That's absolutely certain. And the problem is that you expect everything to be perfect. And as a result, you don't have a way to deal with problems. We really suck at problem solving. And, you know, we are always shifting blame on one another. We're always looking as to who to blame instead of sitting down as a family and problem solving. It's not only affecting farm profitability dramatically, but it's dramatically affecting family relationships. And this is why family farms are falling apart all across North America. You know, I walked onto a farm, this is 10 years ago, and they were three brothers and uh, they were the best farm in our county. They had the highest numbers for milk production, yet everybody knew that they couldn't get along. And I walked on the day after one brother just got back from rehab. And uh, what had happened was that he was always a scapegoat for all of the two brothers' mistakes. And they were always shifting blame onto him and he just couldn't handle the pressure. They were all six four, six five, meaty boys that had high tempers. And that's because dad was always comparing one boy against another. And that comparison between boys drove them to work harder in order to earn dad's praise, but also caused them to split apart. So what I did was I walked in, I said, how can you squeeze out $500,000? I mean, this is what I do with farms all the time. And they said, well, we're, we're doing as good as we can now. And I said, okay, what's one problem that's costing you more than $50,000? And the one brother, he mentioned after three minutes of being dead silence and then pretending that their farm was perfect, the one brother said, well, we have problems getting cows pregnant. They had a pregnancy rate issue. And the other brother just about came across the table that was the one that did the breeding. And I says, it's not an issue of pointing you out and you being at fault. Let's sit down and problem solve this actual issue. It's probably an issue that all of you guys have a hand in. And we sat down. One issue was the feeding. One issue was the procedure and how they stored the semen. One issue was stray voltage. I mean, the list goes on. And what we did was we spent about 10 minutes breaking down those different issues that could lead up to that. And then everybody walked away with two different things that they had to work on. And one brother, his job was to go call to look into stray voltage. So two weeks later, we had another meeting. I said, did you get that done? He says, no. And so I made him burn $5 because he didn't get the task done. And up to that point, that family had never had accountability. I came back two weeks later. It was uh, $20. He had to burn $20. And I said, the, the week after, I said, it's going to be 100 bucks, so you better get this done. And I made the other family members accountable for the things that they were supposed to do that they didn't get done. What actually turned out was they did have a stray voltage problem. And a year later, we had improved farm profitability on just that one issue by $115,000. What we did was we sat down, the brother in the second meeting, he says, this is a waste of my time. I've got to be spread manure. And I said, okay, you can do that, but figure out how much is it costing your farm right now for this problem to be occurring. When he figured it out, it was a $115,000 mistake. They wanted to go 14% to 21% preg rate, which is, was $115,000 for this operation. They quickly realized the importance of sitting down and how money slipped between the cracks across the operation because they don't sit down. 
I kept on coming back and back and back. And the whole climate of that farm changed. They went from always blaming each other to being able to sit down problem solve. We did not just one metric like pregnancy rate, but we did 10 other metrics. And then every week we went back and we said, okay, how are we doing with these numbers? And it did squeeze out $500,000. And for any farm that's worth $2 million or more, you can generally find $700,000 in lost profitability. Money slipping between the cracks because you never sat down as a family. But more importantly, it just changed their dynamics. Instead of blaming each other, they're problem solve. And their partnership just substantially changed. And, and mom that year wrote me a Christmas card. And uh, she thanked me that Christmas that year was 10 times better. And the next summer, they built a $2 million expansion because of what we did there. The thing overall is that if you can fix how you problem solve as a family, you can improve farm profitability, but you can dramatically turn around family relationships. And for that farm, up to that point, their dad was a dictator. The boys really didn't understand the real cost production for that operation. And through that process, now we're doing succession planning. And because he's been able to groom them in those meetings, they're 10 times more wiser. Is that how you start succession planning then? I mean, instead yeah. of Susie gets this parcel, Johnny gets that parcel, Billy gets that parcel. Yeah. Every situation is a little bit different. I like to work with the family for two years to improve how they make decisions together as a team. And I feel that your family's not ready to do succession planning until you, and talk about where the farm's going to be in 10 years' time. And that's what succession planning is. It's just a strategic planning. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of it that way. But it's just strategic planning. Until your family can sit down and squeeze out 10% profitability, you don't, as a family, have the skills to be able to have strategic level discussions. And more importantly, you really don't have a successor. How many times you see a farm get given to a son and they just pissed away in 10 years' time or drive the farm into the ground because they go and do exact opposite what their dad said no to when they were farming? Andy Junkin, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little insight into uh, managing the family farm and making it through a crisis on the family farm. And is there any one single tip that you would like to pass along to hold it all together with your family? You know, I, I think the key thing for a lot of farm families at this stage is to learn the serenity prayer. And whether you are a religious person or not, I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. It's the prayer that's used by Alcoholics Anonymous, but I think it needs to be adapted by every farm family across North America. And the serenity prayer is this, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. And Andy, if people want to get a hold of you, where do they find you? Uh, just go to agriculturestrategy.com and you can get a hold of me at 800-474-2057. And uh, I'll be coming out with a book called Tough Times Never Last, Tough Farmers Do in July. And if you want to get a copy of a chapter prior to that as of the book, I'd love to get your feedback on it. Uh, go to the website, agriculturestrategy.com. Thank you so much. Appreciate all of your wisdom today. Yeah, thanks very much.